0: Good morning. My name is Pam. The Old Testament reading is found in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Zion. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Tracy. Hi, everybody. All right. The New Testament reading is going to be found in Romans chapter five, verses eight through 10, but God shows his love for us because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So now that we have been made righteous by his blood, we can be even more certain that we will be saved from God's wrath through him. If we were reconciled to God through the death of his son while we were still enemies, now that we have been reconciled, how much more certain is it that we will be saved by his life? The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Laura. If you're able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew 21, eight through nine. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. The gospel of the Lord. Praise our Lord Christ. Let's remain standing as we pray. Jesus, we're so thankful for who you are, we're thankful for the way that you call us and save us and rescue us and include us in your story of salvation as it continues to unfold even now. So Lord, as we open the scriptures, open up our hearts and our minds to see Jesus, to hear his voice to us. Open up our minds to understand and our hearts to be surrendered, to be changed and challenged. Come Holy Spirit, we pray in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning again, everybody. Woo! Thanks for being here on this wonderful Palm Sunday. I hope you got your dance on and some muffins as you walked in. It is a big party. Someone was like, we were doing like step to the left, step to the right, whatever that uh, song is. And people were like, are we allowed to dance in church? I was like, we're not in church. We're outside Jerusalem, the courtyard, you know. So don't worry. We'll, we'll make it okay for everybody. But yes, you can dance in church too. When I, when I think about a day like today, or a, a moment like today, this sort of 10-year milestone, I think about the story that Nikki Gumbel told Nicky is the uh, pastor of a church in London where the Alpha Course came from, you know, and, and through the Alpha Course and through many of their wonderful efforts there at that church in London has grown, and, and, and Nicky's now, in, I think, in his 60s, maybe 70s, but he tells the story of going to his local squash club, you know, squash is a game that's like racquetball but not as cool, and um, I mean, we Americans, we sort of take everything British and improve it, right? Uh, I know Jason agrees as far as baseball goes, Um <laughs> But, but, but Nikki tells the story of going to his squash club and, and the guy that he played with saying, hey, so, so what do you do for a living? He says, oh, I'm a vicar. He goes, oh, you're a vicar. Well, how many people go to your church? And he says, Well, oh, about 5,000. And the guy goes, Jesus. And Nicky goes, that's right. That's why they come. And, and, and I think about that in a moment like today when you say 10 years, Jesus, like, yes, that's it. That's it. It's Jesus that we're exalting. It's Jesus that we're glorifying. It's Jesus that we're pointing to. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Only we're saying his name with praise, not with, uh, you know, another intention in our minds. Uh, this morning we're in a series called Who is God and we've been in the series for a number of weeks and we've been working through the way that Christians confess who God is and we started with who needs God and then we talked about how Christians confess God as Father, Son and Holy Spirit and Father and we talked about that for six weeks or so and then we've been the last couple of weeks saying well, well what about Jesus? Like who is God the Son? What are we naming when we name the second person of the Trinity, one God in three persons. And we've covered a few different aspects of this. And today we're going to talk about Jesus, the Savior. Who is God, the Son, the Savior, appropriate for Palm Sunday. Now, I'm not, for the sake of time, I'm not going to reread that text in Matthew 21. You heard Jen read it during worship. You heard it referred to. You heard a couple of the verses read again. But I want to just comment on two two elements of that scene. There's two kind of symbols that appear in that story. There's palm branches and then there's this donkey or young donkey, this colt. And to us, we're sort of like, I mean, what does that mean? Like, uh, that's cool. I mean, maybe if you're sort of raised in a Christian home, your only association of palm branches, uh, specifically branches being waved, is like, it's church. And you're like, it's kind of weird. But like once a year, we all grab foliage and like wave it in the air. Like, we really don't care. And you're like, I don't really get it. Or maybe your other association of palm trees is like vacations and beach. And you're like, I just get happy when I see palm trees. Is that what they were doing? Like they were happy? Uh, They were like, they have vacation on their mind? Is that what's going on? These symbols may not mean as much to us, but to them in Jesus' day, this meant something very specific. See, branches in general in the Bible refer to an age of restoration and flourishing. When you see branches going out or imagery about trees with branches that spread, it's meant to make you think of something that is flourishing. But palm branches specifically mean something. In Revelation 7, the saints, there's this picture of the saints in white robes waving palm branches. And you're like, oh, what's going on there? Some kind of age of glory? But even if we didn't think about that, 150 years or so before the time of Jesus, there was a revolt a revolution led by the Maccabees, the Maccabean family. And there, were these ev- there was this oppressive people that had come in and defiled the temple. And the Maccabeans had revolted against this foreign oppression, this sort of evil empire. And they're revolting against it and they, in an unlikely way they actually drove them out. I mean, listen, we don't have to work very hard to imagine what's happened that, that kind of moment as we think about Ukraine and Russia. And you think about a small group of people, a small nation, driving out an oppressive outside regime. This is what the Maccabeans did. And they were successful, much to everyone's surprise. And in their day, the way you commemorate a great victory like that was to make coins. They didn't, it, it wasn't newspapers. It wasn't monuments. It wasn't like in our day, like, let's take a selfie right here. You know, the way that they minted, they literally minted coins not only to mark the victory, but to mark a new age of freedom. And you know what was on the coin? Palm branches. Palm branches. When they made coins to celebrate their new freedom from oppression and this new era of flourishing, they minted a picture of palm branches. So when we think of these palm branches, this is not just sort of like a praise party. This was a political rally. This was a way of saying, bring an end to oppression and bring a new reign. And then we, we, the other image in the story is the donkey. Now, I don't know how many Palm Sunday sermons you've heard, but preachers tend to say that because of the way that Matthew's gospel words it, it says that Jesus rode in humble and lowly on a donkey. So we think, oh yeah, the donkey thing is humility. And sometimes preachers will say, you know, he could have ridden in on a war horse but he rode in on a donkey. Actually, the donkey was a symbol that war was over. If you were listening in our Old Testament text in Zechariah, the prophet said one day the great warrior king would end the war, would win the war, so much so that he could ride in on a donkey. Listen, this is a little bit like a general riding through the city streets in a stretch limo instead of in a tank because the war is over. So when we see these images, we're not meant to sort of just see, oh yeah, it's like praise and, and like um, uh, humility. We're actually meant to see these are political symbols of the end of oppression, the beginning of freedom, and the launch of a new era of peace, prosperity, and flourishing, which makes the first Palm Sunday not so much church in the park, and much more like the uprising of rebels. That changes it a bit, doesn't it? Like they were not saying, well, hey, hey guys, it's nice out in Jerusalem today. How about instead of the synagogue, let's all grab our lawn chairs and line the streets. They weren't, that's not what they were doing. They were saying, here comes the one in the name of Yahweh. He will come to save. Now there's things they got right and there's things they didn't know yet. And this morning, the first thing we want to say, the most obvious thing that they did get right is that Jesus is the long-awaited Savior. Jesus is indeed the long-awaited Savior. Hosanna, save us! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of Yahweh, in the name of the Lord. And so our question this morning is, how do we respond to him? And we're going to pay attention to this story and note just two things. The first is this, prepare the way for the Savior. They took off their cloaks, their coats, their outer garments, they've laid down palm branches, and what they were trying to say is, come on in and have your way. Take your rightful place. If Jesus is the long-awaited Savior, the question is, how do we respond? And one of the answers to that, one of the ways that we respond is to actually prepare the way for the Savior. When I was thinking about that this week and Palm Sunday being the 10-year mark from Palm Sunday 2012 of when New Life Downtown began. I think, in a way, hasn't that been what our whole story has been about? The whole story of New Life Downtown has been about people saying, how can we prepare the way for the Savior to come right here in the heart of our city? How can we prepare the way for our Savior to come and meet people who are on the edges of faith? I I mentioned it in the video a little bit, but our burden right from day one was for people who were kind of on the edges of faith. People who are sort of in that borderland zone where they're maybe in, but they're uneasily in. And they're like, I got questions. And maybe I don't really want to be part. Or people who are on the outside, but looking in, saying, I don't know if I want to be associated with this, but. And our burden from day one has been how do we prepare the way for the Savior to meet Everyone, to me, people on the edges, people on the margins, people on the fringe. Um, before this began, when, when Holly and I started talking about this, and we shared some of this with uh, Pastor Brady, and and um, very early on in, in, in the moment, I mean, we were like we were running the Sunday night service. Some of you were part of Sunday night, right? New Life Sunday night, Jason Pedersen, I see you over there, two thousand nine, David. 2010, 11, late 2011, we're having these conversations. I wasn't an elder. I wasn't an elder at New Life at the time, but I knew that they were discussing this idea as an eldership. I mean, now, listen, you think of New Life and it's like eight congregations, six locations, three languages. There was one New Life, and we were like, I don't know, could we do something maybe a little different, but like connected, but different, and and this was very much an idea. And Holly and I were talking about this. But, but I would say I was kind of like, yeah, I think this is right. And Holly was like, look, can we just slow this down just a tiny bit? And so literally there's a Christmas, staff, Christmas party for the New Life Church staff. And we're driving to it. It's at some place downtown. And as we're on this drive... Holly goes, "Now, now you're sure that like we haven't for sure given Brady like we're doing this, right?" And I was like, "Oh, no, babe. We're just processing this. We're just kicking around the ideas, like just sharing the burden and all this stuff." We get to this Christmas party, we eat this nice meal. There's a, com- a young upcoming comedian named John Chris who who does the routine that night. And then and then when it's all over, Brady gets up and he gives this sort of state of the church address, and then he goes, "Okay, and some exciting news everybody." On Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, we're going to launch a congregation downtown led by Glenn and Holly. And and Holly, I could feel the stare, you know, like. like, But I was just focused on the Lord, like I was just sitting there, you know. But I could feel it. It was like right there. Now, of course, she hears from the Lord, too. So it just took a little, you know, just like maybe another week. And then we were right there in sync. And one of the first things we did early 2012 was to I go to a house, I told this story in, in, in the video, but the, the, the fuller picture of it is where the pinery on the hill is today. There used to be this house where a bunch of single people uh, lived, and, and, uh, and I, I knew many of them. I said, hey, can we host a little party at your house? I just want to find out what young people downtown are. Why, why'd, you, why'd you move away from the uh, Briargate Mecca of evangelicalism, you know? <laughs> and so we're hanging out at this house party. We didn't think of it as an interest group or a focus group or anything. We just wanted to listen. And we played this game. We gave everyone three by five cards. And we said, write down what you think of when you hear these words. And we said, Jesus, what do you think of? Christianity. Church. (laughs) New life church. And on and on it went. And we realized early on that this is the people, this is the place that the Lord was calling us to. So I want to show you a couple pictures of people who laid down their... Coats and cloaks and palm branches to welcome Jesus the Savior. Look at a couple of these photos. This is the, oh, okay, we're doing out of order today. That's great. Um, this, is, this is the outside. This is where it began. The Carter Payne uh, is this brick chapel on South Weber. I believe it's a tap room now. They totally ruined it. But this is where we first began um, in April of 2012. Okay, what's our next one here? This is what it looked like on the inside. And you can see it's a little bit blurry because everybody's got stuff to do. Um, and iPhones weren't that great back then. Um, but that's Abby with the mandolin uh, that she's getting ready to play. And Okay, next picture here. Uh, there you go. A little close up. There's Greg Hampton, one of our first worship leaders. Ron Bush on the drums. Mary Lindsay on cello. Rebecca Jackson on keys. And then what do we got? What's next? Oh, this, Look at this. So there's, you can see Holly on the far edge of that photo. Then you can see Jim and Martha there um, from the very beginning. That first Palm Sunday. Beautiful building. Okay, next one. And this is some of our heroes, man, who... Uh, loaded up the moving truck. And in fact, I think this was when we were starting to make the switch toward Palmer in that summer. Chris Burley, that's Abby's husband, Jin and Natalia. Now, they weren't married at the time, Jin and Natalia, but they started serving together on setup. Now, I can't guarantee that the same thing will happen to you. I, I, we, we, don't, we don't deal in promises like that, but. When you serve at church, things happen, you know. So there's, there's Scott. Okay, the next um, slide, there's Matt Howard, Brian Hare. A number of them uh, were there in the first service. We're here in the first service this morning. Jesse. Okay, we got one more. That's it. In the room today, we've got Jennifer. I think we just lost Jennifer this morning. She out with one of the kiddos, Jason. Jason and Jennifer, you guys weren't married either. And uh, when, when New Life Downtime began, Jen, then Jennifer Randolph, was our first kid's Ministry person, uh, I remember driving up to IKEA, assembling cribs and laying down carpets. And but you think over the years, Evan Readall, Evan. I don't know if you're in the room right now for the second service. Maybe you're helping with kids, but Evan was the first pastor on staff at New Life Downtown, and we stood right over here in the summer of 2012 and said, "Let's start a, a different way of doing groups. Let's start just dinner groups, like just meal groups, like eat and and you know pray and stuff and." And Evan was all about it and kind of and started that. But as I think over the years how different team members have come in and different ones of you have joined the team, all of us were just keeping down that procession. If you think of the last 10 years as a procession, all of us in different moments of the procession have been saying, oh, it's my turn now. I'll take my coat off. I'll take my palm branch down. I'll lay it down because we've always been about one thing, and that is preparing the way for the Savior to enter in. Amen. That's what it's been about. Five and a half years ago when Jason and Sarah came here. And what a tremendous gift they have been to our congregation. Amen. True shepherds and teachers and pastors. Part of the way that... We're going to ha- continue to have deep roots and broad engagement is because of who they are, because of how they lead. Sarah's work with the emotionally healthy discipleship stuff and Jason's work in like everything <laughs> <laughs> around the church. But this is an invitation for all of us to say, how do we continue to prepare the way for the Savior? So here we are coming into Holy Week, Good Friday service right here in Palmer on Friday night, Easter Sunday. What are the ways that this is your moment now? You're joining the story, well, however long, however short a time you've been at the church. This is your moment to say, oh, oh, Jesus, is, I'll take my coat off. I'll take my coat off. And, and what I mean by that is, how can you prepare the way for others to meet Jesus as well? Maybe it is inviting people to, to services. Maybe it's going with someone to Alpha. But maybe it's actually just inviting them to your house. Maybe it's having conversations with them at work. Maybe there's ways that you can say, I have a part to play in preparing the way for the Savior to enter in. Amen? But preparing the way for the Savior should come with a warning. It should come with a warning because the Palm Sunday text doesn't end with Hosanna. (laughs) It ends in a very strange way. In fact, three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when they tell the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem, they tack on one more story. It's right here in verse 12 of Matthew 21. It says, Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those who were selling and buying there. He pushed over the the tables used for currency exchange and the chairs of those who sold doves and he said to them, it's written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a hideout for crooks. This is crazy because they're welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem with the idea that he would save them from all the bad guys out there. Like Jesus free us from Rome. And he's like, how about I start with your holiest place? How about I start with your most sacred space? Oh, the temple? No, no, no. No, the temple's good. The the temple's fine. What you need to focus on is like the Roman soldiers, Jesus. Those guys are wicked. And Jesus is like, I think there's wickedness in here. And this is just like us. We want to prepare the way for a Savior because it's all those other people who need saving. It's all those wicked people in our society and culture. And Listen, you don't have to work hard to find wickedness, quote-unquote, out there. The trouble is, are we working just as hard to find wickedness in here? Because the second way to respond to Jesus, the Savior, is not just to prepare a way For the Savior, but also to confess our need for salvation. How do we confess our own need for salvation? C.S. Lewis said, those who refuse to confess their own sins, those who do not think about their own sins, make up for it by thinking incessantly about the sins of others. It's so true, isn't it? If we don't take the time to say, God, search me, we'll be like, oh, God. I know you saw what Susie posted on Facebook today. And did you see what Bob was doing? All of this stuff. And it's always about the sins of others. And we can talk about a Savior and without being, if we're not careful, we can talk about a Savior and build up our own sense of self-righteousness and think it's other people who need saving, not me. But the truth is, sin is not just a corruption out there. Sin is an infection in here. It's not just a corruption out there. It's an infection in here. And this is why the Palm Sunday story, when the gospel writers tell it, they don't just tell of a triumphant entry. They talk about a Jesus who's come to rearrange some furniture in our sacred spaces. And the question for us is, what's the area of your life that you don't want Jesus to touch? What's the, what's the place? And you're like, well, Jesus, I mean, fix that, fix that, fix our government, fix politics, fix you know, fix all that. But, but I'm good. Actually, I'm okay. And he's like, mm, I really want to deal with this thing in you. And you're like, ah. How do we focus on others and miss ourselves? One of the reasons why from the very first Sunday here at New Life Downtown, we prayed a prayer of confession. And we do this, we have done this every week for 10 years. The reason we do it is because we're trying to remind ourselves that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Nobody has bragging rights when it comes to salvation. Nobody can say, oh, Jesus, I don't need about 10% saving, but that, you know, they need about 80% saving, you know? It's not like a phone charger, you know? I, I'm okay, actually, I've stored up my good. We all come to Jesus and say, I've got nothing. Hosanna, save us. Save us. Save us not just from the evil out there. Save us from ourselves. Sometimes people have said over the years, well, why why, why do we need to pray this prayer of confession? I mean, like, it's it's kind of a downer, Glenn. Like, can't we just like, like don't we need a bit more self-esteem here? Listen, there's nothing more freeing than saying, I don't got this. Sometimes I, I, I think the messaging that we tell ourselves out there, like, I can do this. I am enough. I'm strong. I'm, you know, I, I'm okay. And then you realize, well, what if I'm not, though? And so what sounds like positive self-esteem turns out to be debilitating because it puts the pressure back on you. But confession is a paradox. Confession is freely saying, I don't got it. And Jesus is like, all right, I've got you. I've got you. I'll carry you. And that leads us to the final moment. See, there's something that we know now about Palm Sunday that the first followers of Jesus in that moment on the first Palm Sunday did not know. And that is that Jesus would indeed save. But he would save not by destroying his enemies, but by dying for them. And he would save... Not just those who were righteous, but the very least of these. And he would save not by conquering and killing, but by laying down his life. See, Jesus is the Savior who saves his enemies by sacrificial, self-giving love. That's what we know today on Palm Sunday that they did not know then. And this is the reason why the early followers of Jesus, after the cross and after the Easter, they didn't make signs of their movement like Judas Maccabees did. The sign of the Christian movement was not palm branches. The sign of the Christian movement was not a horse or a donkey or a colt. The sign of the Christian movement was a shocking symbol of execution. It was not the palm branches of peace and prosperity. It was not the cult of victory and finality. It was a symbol of shame and execution and death. The early Christians began to understand this is a different Savior. And that means we are different people. The symbol of the Christians was not the palm branch or the cult. It was a cross. As the worship team comes this morning, we read again the words from Romans 5 that we heard earlier this morning. But God shows us his love for th- in this. God shows his love for us. Because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So now that we've been made righteous by his blood, we can be even more certain that we will be saved from God's wrath through him. And if we were reconciled to God through the death of his son while we were still enemies... Now that we have been reconciled, how much more certain is it that we will be saved by his life? I think there's two invitations for us this morning. The first is for all of us to confess. In just a moment, Pastor Jason is going to lead us to the table with that prayer of confession that we've prayed weekly for a decade now. And some of you, you'll say, I don't know. I'm still kind of like dipping my toe and testing this. Listen, the greatest way to enter into all of this is just to say, I need help. I can't do this. And the beauty of the gospel is not that Jesus confronts us. It doesn't end there. It ends with his self-giving love for us. And so as we... Confess our own need for salvation. That invitation is for all of us to say, I need saving. The next year, 2, three, four, five, 10, 20 years for New Life Downtown, God willing, we'll never see a day when we no longer need to confess our dependence on Jesus. Amen? It's never a moment where we say, well, okay, well, she's pretty good now, actually. Ten years, we're good. We don't... We keep confessing. Not because we're groveling, but because we recognize there's only one Savior. And we need him. The Savior's not a church. The Savior's not a person. The Savior's not our own resume. But I think the second invitation is not only to confess our need, but to actually embrace the cross. Some of us are tempted to live in... That first Palm Sunday moment where it says, uh, where we say, I want peace. I want flourishing. I want my life to prosper. I just don't want a cross. And we prayed that prayer earlier today where we said, Jesus, you're the one. But you, you died for us and you show us the way. I hear Jesus saying to us this morning, this is the way of salvation. The way of salvation is a cross. We don't get out of it. And so maybe you're here and you've maybe thought, I could maybe use God to make my life work. And I just need God to bless my family and bless my business and make things work. Listen, there is true peace and true freedom that Jesus is bringing. And it involves a cross. And it involves a letting go of who we are. But there can be a new beginning today. For anyone who dies will truly live. And anyone who surrenders to this Savior will be saved. And anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will experience this salvation. So this morning, if you would, just stand with me. And Pastor Jason's going to come and lead us in this coming to the table moment. Of saying, Savior, save me. I need you. And Savior, teach me the way of salvation. Teach me the way of the cross. Keep me from seeking false peace, false freedom, false flourishing that comes without letting go and following you. Come, Lord Jesus.